Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. So with all the hustle and bustle of the missions trip and all the preparation of it, uh, my wife decided, hey, you need a break, bro. And so she, uh, this, this, this weekend, I got refreshed with 104,000 of my friends in the horseshoe. OH, that's what I'm talking about. Now, we can't be too excited. We did get a win, but we can't be really, really proud of our performance yesterday. Although Ezekiel hurtled that guy, man. Like, he just jumped right over him. And, uh, but that wasn't even the highlight of the game. Going to the game was great. It was my dad and I went. But I decided I made the mistake, dear God, I made the mistake of getting some pretzels there. And the pretzels come with cheese, and I should have said no to the cheese. I didn't intend to eat the cheese anyway, but they put it in my little boat, and we wanted to get in there. And, and I get my food before I go to my seat because, like, it's all the way up these stairs, right? And, like, I don't do cardio on my day off, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going up those stairs once, I'm staying in the seat, and then I'm coming down when it's over. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not leaving my seat. And so we get the food. I've got arm loaded. I'm going up with my drinks and my food, and I'm waiting there's somebody in our seats, and I tell, I'm like, Dad, you need to get these people to move over, you know, so we can sit down. And so he, he goes to do that, and he just kind of barrels right into me, and th- it goes like this. And I, and, I, and I was like, I jokingly said, well, thanks, Dad, you just got cheese all over me, because I could see the thing was spilled in, in the basket, though. I didn't see what had happened. And then, I, and then I looked down, and I had cheese all over me. And the cardio commenced. My heart started beating faster the moment I saw it. Because anybody who know me, I don't like sticky stuff. I don't like to be dirty. It's like, oh, oh. And I was wearing one of those thin shirts, so it's like touching me, you know. It's like I was delicious, apparently. So I went, I go and clean it off. And and I I guess I really can't complain because I got a brand new T-shirt. And we had a W yesterday, so we we won the game. But but it's been fantastic and and, and to be refreshed. And so I'm so happy to be here with you guys today. We are in the series. I I say all that. You're like, what does that have to do with anything? Nothing. It's my microphone. I get to say what I want to. I'm just up here. So welcome to Simple Church. I'm Aaron. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, we are in a series. This is the third week in a series called You Ask For It. And essentially what I did was I opened the, the floodgates and said, what is it that I could teach or that I could share with you that would help move you forward in your spiritual journey. And so you ask a lot of questions and we landed on the most, the, the most popular subjects. And so the first week we talked about what do I do with the Holy Spirit? The second week we talked about how do I, uh, how do I have faith? In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about how do I pray, how do I overcome negative emotions, and how do I parent, which is a really great one. Everybody seems to love that one. And, uh, and so that was the second most popular subject. But, but today, today we're actually going to dive right into the most requested. This is it. How do I forgive? How do I forgive somebody when I'm not really ready to do that? And, and I would say this is like clear across this room, clear across my life. This is like the subject. You know what I'm saying? This is the most important thing. And so we're going to dive into it because I believe that, that unforgiveness actually is one of those things that affects you on every level of your life. It affects you mentally. It affects you spiritually. It affects you relationally. And it can affect you physically. Yes, that's right. I said physically. When you look in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking to the church and he says, hey, you know what? 
I know you guys are taking communion and you're getting together as a church, and that's really great, but I can't commend you for this because when you get together, there's a lack of unity among you. You all have these factions, you know, where you've separated yourself. Some of you are taking communion the second you get there because you don't want to have said you took it with this with brother or sister so-and-so. You know what I mean? Like you, you don't want to have sat down at the table with them. Some of you are even getting drunk before they get there so that you can cope when they do arrive. You know what I'm saying? And it was just all due to a lack of forgiveness. They lacked unity. They were fighting. And he said, some of you, as a result of this, you're weak. You're physically weak. Some of you are sick. Some of you have even died because you've allowed unforgiveness, this lack of unity to be among the church. And so I, I'm, I firmly believe this. I, I know there's, if you look across your life and say, man, there's just some junk going on in my life that I can't explain, maybe you need to search your heart and find out if you need to forgive somebody. You know what I'm saying? For me, part of my personal testimony is, and my life journey has been racked with unforgiveness. I was, I was like offended by somebody that was really important to me. And they, they happened to be related to God. And that's why I walked away from all of my Christian faith and all my, my morals and the things that I believed. And I walked away from them completely because I was offended. I was holding unforgiveness. I just wouldn't release this person. I became angry. I became bitter. And it took me to some really, really dark places in my life. I was wrecking every relationship that I had. And as a result, I was also limiting the potential of every new relationship that I had. It was all because this unforgiveness just twists you. And unforgiveness is one of those things, right? Like when you, when you are mad at somebody, where is the last place you want to be? It's with them, right? So unforgiveness is one of those things you kind of forget about. Because if I'm mad at you, if I'm mad at Hannah over here, Hannah, if I'm mad at you, guess where I'm not going to be? In a room with you. And that means I'm going to distance myself from you. I'm going to be... If I know you're going to be someplace, I'll refuse it. And what happens is that unforgiveness, that stuff that I've got against you, you kind of forget about it because you've created a pattern. Maybe you develop new, new, new circles of friends or you develop new places to hang out so that you can avoid. And you forget about it. And it's like five years later, you're angry, bitter, sarcastic, and you run into Hannah and something goes like this. And you're like, what in the world was that? It's unforgiveness. It's one of the most dangerous things that we can do is to not forgive somebody because it hides inside us and twists us. So it's part of my personal journey, and I'm, I'm thankful that one of the greatest gifts God gave me was forgiveness. And I don't mean forgiveness of my sins. I mean to learn to forgive others because I'm happy now. I'm free. I'm no longer bitter. My relationships are good. Dear Lord, they're good. My marriage is wonderful as a result. But what's interesting, though, is we study this subject of forgiveness, when we look across what it actually means, it's not as simple as saying, I forgive you. See, I, you want me to say that. You want me to believe that it's as simple as that, but it's really not. There's, there's actually things that you need to do before you can even get to a place that you can forgive somebody. And what we're going to do is look at those things today. We're going to talk about those deeper issues, and then we'll talk about how to fix it. So we're going to be jumping into the Bible today. We're in, in Jeremiah, the Old Testament. But let me say this. If you need a Bible today, you don't own one. We would love to give you one. We, we would, if you just put your hand up in the air, somebody will give you one. But the verses will be up on the screen, or you can open up your apps, whichever app you want. You can use the Simple Church app or version, whichever one gets you to the Bible, or just follow along up here. But we're in Lamentations, and um, this book, Lamentations, was written by a guy named Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah, is, uh, he's an Old Testament guy. He's a prophet, or basically a pastor. In other words, he hears what, what God has to say, and he shares it with the people of Israel at the time, okay, and, uh, and, and that was his job, but with Jeremiah, here's a guy who endured some painful things, 
And he's a person that's just like me and you. He's just an average guy. Yes, there's books of the Bible written about him, but he's a regular guy just like me and you. And, and that's what I like. He had his own faith issues that he wrestled with. And so he wrote this entire book called the Book of Complaints or Lamentations. That's what this whole book is. If you really want to be depressed, go read this book. That's what I'm talking about. Anybody ever being depressed? I didn't think so. But it's part of the Bible. You need to read it anyway. So, uh, so here's what he said and where we're going to focus today. Lamentations 3, 19 through 20, he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I, re I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. What he's saying is there are three different areas of my life that I remember, and when I think about them, they really trouble me inside. Like, I get really depressed about it uh, and when I think about it. And you, same for true for you guys, right? If you, if you look across your life and the things that, that, that are, are difficult for you, you can, you can get depressed about them. I would say this, that the enemy of our soul, the devil, he wants to come against us. He takes us through difficult things in life. And his sole purpose in taking us through those difficult things is to separate us, to break our relationships with people, to disconnect us from others. And he tries to discourage us and to depress us. And if you're not careful, it can happen to any, single, any one of us. So let's look at the three different ways that Jeremiah highlights because uh, I think we've all experienced each one of them. The first thing that he mentions is affliction. Now, in Jeremiah's day, this was not a super cool, tight T-shirt that people wear, okay? This is not affliction, right? If you don't know that, it's a brand name, and you guys that are really built wear them, and they are really tight. And I'm like, dude, look afflicted. I would never wear one of those. I would look like a busted can of biscuits, you know what I'm saying? And so, <laughs> think about that. You still thinking about it? Some of you want gravy right now real bad, and you're not even sure how you got there. Biscuits. <laughs> Sorry, sometimes I make myself laugh. It's just for me. But, when they, but, but the people of Jeremiah's day, <laughs> when they heard the word affliction, what they would have understood that to mean is a Syrian form of torture. And what affliction was is you would lay your, the person out that you wanted to torture, and you would slowly add stones to their body. Heavy stones. And as you would, they would lay on you, you would begin to feel the pressure from that. Now, how many of you have ever been buried in the sand at the beach before? This is a fun, yeah, it's a fun thing to do, right? When you get buried, you feel the pressure of that. And if you're a little claustrophobic like I am, you start to panic a little bit. Like, am I going to be able to get up? You know, but you can feel the weight of that, right? And in those moments, you're really vulnerable. And that's when people draw things on you and put seaweed on you. It's not, it's not nice. But you're laying there under, <laughs> underneath the sand, and, and it, feels, it feels heavy. And if you get enough on top of you, you can feel the weight of that, and it, it becomes difficult to breathe. Well, that's what's happening with affliction. They, they pile these stones on top of you, and they would continue to pile them, not slamming them down, just laying them, so that it was this slow and painful death, because eventually it would kill you. And so they understood that. And Jeremiah is talking about this affliction. I remember this affliction. It, it's being, it's this torture. And essentially, this affliction that he's talking about, it's the pressure from the outside world. It's, it's, it's basically, he's talking about tragedy. When the feeling's gone and you can't go on, it's tragedy. When the morning cries and you don't know why, it's hard to bear with no one to love you. You're going nowhere. It's tragedy. Nobody knows I'm singing a Bee Gees song, huh? It's cool. Good luck getting that out of your head as we go along. So afflictions in life are, are uh, the tragedies that happen to us. You know, tragedies are things that happen that you have no control over, right? 
It, it's just stuff that happens, like the death of a loved one, or you lose a job, or you know, car accidents, or uh, you know, a relationship ends. It, it's stuff that may not have anything to do with you, but it just puts pressure on you. And, and the, what a tragedy can do is just squeeze the very life out of you. It can destroy you. There's a guy in the Bible named Job. And Job's story is, is racked with tragedy. Job suffers incredible loss. Though here's a guy who's a, he's pure at heart. He loves God. He serves him. And yet Job loses his kids. All of them die. He loses all of his wealth. His wife leaves him. His, all, most of his friends have left him. Like he has lost his business. He's lost everything. All his cattle have died. And Job is looking at the situation going, what in the world? I didn't, what did I do to deserve this? Like how did this happen? And look what Job says in chapter 30 of the book of Job. He says, yeah, when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. And many of you can relate to that, right? You go through one tragedy and you get to the other side of it and something else happens. You know what I mean? Like your life starts sounding like a country music song, right? Like you lost your dog, your truck broke down, your girl left you. Like you can't seem to catch a break. And I know all of you have these stories because I hear them. I have my own. And most of you seem to post them on Facebook. I'm not really sure why, but, but you do. But you understand that you understand what I'm talking about. Like you just cannot seem to catch a break. And I think if we aren't careful, the first and worst place that we go whenever tragedy strikes us is to a place where we start shaking our fist at God and saying, why did you let this happen? You're all powerful. Why didn't you stop it, right? Like if you really loved me, why would you let this happen to me? And I think that's a really dangerous place to be because it's so arrogant. It puts you on God's level as if you could ever be there. And says, why did, you, why did you do this? Why did you let this happen? It's scary. The second thing Jeremiah mentions is his wandering. He talks about his tragedies. He blames God for them. But then he talks about his wanderings. And his wanderings represent his mistakes. We all, we all know what our mistakes are. As, I'm, as soon as I say our mistakes, you're like, oh, yeah, I know what my mistakes are. The Bible tells us that it's not... If we wander, it's when we wander. We are all like sheep. We're just kind of going our own way. We don't mean to do it. We just kind of wander. It's what happens. We make mistakes in lives. We are human. And Jeremiah well remembers the mistakes that he has made. And, and I think if we're honest, we can all remember the mistakes that we have made as well. Things we shouldn't have done in life. You know, maybe it was, it was a recent argument you had with somebody. Maybe it was your spouse. And in the middle of the, of the moment, the heat of that second, you said something that you really wish you hadn't said. It's like the words came out of your mouth, and you're like, no, come back. And they're gone. You wish you could rewind time, like five minutes, and the outcome of this whole conversation would have been different. It was a mistake. I, sh I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have done it. Years ago, I, I had the opportunity to go skydiving. And you're like, oh, that's cool. Well, hear me out. <laughs> If you ever have an ex-girlfriend, this was years ago, I was single, no kids. If you ever have an ex-girlfriend call you and offer to send you skydiving, the answer is no. You don't want to do that. See, she broke it off with me, and I was kind of being creepy stalker guy. Like, we didn't have Facebook then, you know. It was just kind of sitting outside of somebody's house, you know what I'm saying? When your heart is broken, you don't know what else to do, and you're like, why did you break up with me? I'm going to sit here and watch your house till I figure it out. See if you update your relationship status in your window. Like, 
I, I was. I was really brokenhearted. And she calls me up one day and says, hey, I won this skydiving contest on the radio. Do you want to go? And I'm hearing in my head, mistake, mistake, mistake. But, of course, I said, yes, I would love to go skydiving. That sounds great. If it's free, that's for me. So I took it. <laughs> I went. And I'm getting in my suit, and, you know, when you go skydiving for the first time, they don't let you just jump out of the plane. You have to go tandem, which is somebody strapped to your back. And I'm a tall guy. I was about 220 pounds at the time. And, and they, they kind of pair you with somebody that's relative to your height and weight, you know. Like they, but, but they have weight limits on this thing because when you're coming down, you can come down too fast, you know, and you break your legs if you're coming down too fast. And so they're discussing this in front of me. With the guy that I'm going to be strapped to. And this guy is just as tall as I am. It's not that I was too heavy. It was the combined weight of the two of us. And they're looking at him. and Because, and you know, they can't, like, pair you with somebody smaller. Like, Misty, stand up. Misty, look, look, I could not be paired with Misty. She's like a, if I had her strapped on my back, it would be like a backpack. You know what I'm saying? And so, I love you, Misty. So they, so they give me somebody that's my height. And they're like, hey, he's like, look, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm like, wow, should I back out of this? And I'm hearing mistake, mistake, mistake. But I'm like, no, I'm in. Don't worry about it. Let's just do it. So then he, we're, he and I are talking, and I, I'm, just, I'm just goofy and awkward. And, we, you know, like I have to be funny. That, you know, I insist on it. And so I'm talking to him, and he was tall and had blonde hair. And I was like, man, I was hoping I'd get strapped to a tall blonde, but you're not exactly what I was thinking. And he's like, you don't even know my sexual preferences yet. And I was like, oh, dear God, mistake, mistake, mistake. This guy's going to be strapped to my back. This is not a good call. <laughs> and, and I laughed, but he didn't. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I can't make this up. It happened. So we get up in the plane, and I'm excited, and we're going to go. We're going to go down. And, uh, and, and it's my turn to get up. And when you go, when you dive out of a plane, okay, which is a crazy idea in and of itself. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't think I was thinking. I don't know, but it was fun. <clears throat> they have this bar right here by the door. And you just kind of, the door's kind of slanted back this way. It's, it's cut away, right? And so you, you lean out and you hold this bar. And I'm already leaning. And, and the guy behind me says, hey, listen, I need you to grab onto your straps here. And so I do. And, he, and I said, well, I'm holding the bar. He said, no, that bar's for me because he was behind me, you know, here. So. He says, you grab your straps, and I'm going to grab the bar. And I said, okay. Well, when he did that, I went like this. Like, I'm hanging. Like, I'm just, oh, God, oh, God, this is a mistake. Oh, it's fun. It's good. But I panicked in that moment. You know, and I think that's how every mistake that we make is, right? As it's happening, you're like, you can see your life going in slow motion. Like, we make mistakes. We If we're not careful, we can end up getting trapped by those mistakes. We can end up getting labeled by those mistakes. We become our mistakes instead of being, you know, who you are. You, you limit yourself because of those. Job said, for what hope has the godless when he is cut off, when God takes away his life? Job is feeling hopeless because he's lost everything. And Job is being really honest in this moment, but when you look at this verse... This is not good theology, to believe that you're cut off, to believe that you're marked forever this way, because that's, that's so not true. Like, if you're alive and you're breathing today, then it's not too late for you, that things can turn around in your life. God never cuts you off. His grace and his mercies are new for us every morning, right? 
But while we are still reeling from the mistakes that we've made, here's what happens. The enemy wants to creep in, and he wants to lie to you and tell you that you can't be used anymore, that God can never do anything with you, that you'll never have this, or you'll never do that, you'll never become this, you'll never get past that. And, and he'll label you if you allow him. So we get to a place, I think, where we don't forgive ourselves of our mistakes. We hold on to them. So Jeremiah is remembering a place where he feels like God has failed him or let him down. He's also remembering the place where he's made mistakes and let himself down. The, but the last thing that, that he talks about is this thing called bitterness and gall. He feels trapped by the previous two things, but this is where we're really going to focus in. And bitterness and gall in that verse that he talks about only comes through relationships. We've got tragedy, we've got mistakes, but this last part, man, it's through our relationships. If you've ever opened yourself up to a genuine relationship with someone, then you've probably been hurt. It's, it, you've probably been hurt. Part of life is the pain that comes with relationships. I would say that if you, you haven't suffered a significant hurt or a loss as a result of a relationship, you will. You say, Aaron, shouldn't you be a little more positive on a Sunday morning? I am being positive. Positive that you will get hurt in a relationship. This is true. It's coming. That's the way it works. We make mistakes. We hurt each other intentionally and unintentionally, unfortunately. And some of you say that justifies why you don't let anyone close to you. But look, let me tell you something. If you don't let anyone close enough to hurt you, then you won't let them close enough to help you. And we need help in this life, don't we? We need people to be around us to help us get through things. You have to take the risk and let people in and trust them. But the devil wants you to remember the pain of your relationships because if he can help you or get you to remember the pain of your relationships, then here's what you do. You guard yourself, right? We build ourselves up little walls and we say, I'm never going to let myself get hurt this way because I'm never getting into a relationship again. I'm never going to go out on another date. I'm never going to let somebody in. I'm going to build this wall. I'll go to work and I'll talk to people. That's fine. But no, you don't get to come in. I'm going to stay safe behind this mental palace. And what we don't realize is that the longer we stay in there, the longer we won't heal. Because the only way to heal is by stepping into relationship again. Are you hearing me? You can't heal on your own. God's made it this way. If you need to be healed, you've got to trust and get back into relationship again. It's the same thing when you go to a doctor, right? You don't go to a doctor and say, hey, uh, my, uh, my elbow hurts really bad. And the doctor says, well, let me take a look. And you go, no, I don't think so. I, it just hurts really bad. I need you to fix it. Well, let me take a look. No, not happening. Isn't this silly? This is what we're doing when we refuse to enter into relationship with somebody. And the enemy wants us that way. He wants us secluded. He wants us isolated from other people because if he can get us that way, he can limit our potential. He can squash us completely. He can stop you from doing anything great for the kingdom of God. He can stop you from loving your family. He can stop you from getting the promotion. He can stop you from growing personally, spiritually, relationally. He will limit you in that way. That's his entire goal. So here's Jeremiah saying, I remember. And the enemy of most of what God wants to do in your life and accomplish in you is the memory of your past. That is the greatest enemy because we remember the times that God didn't come through for us. We remember the mistakes that we made and the times that people have let us down. 
And Jeremiah says, as a result of remembering all this, my soul is downcast within me. And Job is in a similar situation. Everything is broken around him. And he says in verse 19, he says, all my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. And here's what's encouraging about all this. You say, Aaron, you can find encouragement in the middle of all this whining and complaining. Yes, I can. You know what the encouragement is? These guys have books of the Bible written about them. And they're all broken just like I am, just like you are. And if God will work out their situations for them, he'll work out ours. That's what's encouraging to me. God wants to do the same thing in our lives. And so let me say this about our enemy. He wants to limit your future. He wants to keep you broken by getting you to focus on your past. So God is calling us to move past those broken relationships, but we won't be able to do that until we take care of these other things, this unforgiveness towards God, this unforgiveness towards ourselves. If we, if we don't let those things go, we'll never get to that moment where we say, I forgive you, and really mean it, and really let them go. So how do we fix it? How do you forgive? Well, the first thing, there's, there's three things you have to do. First thing you have to do is, is open your heart to God. That's the first thing you've got to do. Forgiveness is a supernatural thing. That means it is beyond your ability and beyond mine. You can tell somebody, I forgive you, but did you really forgive them? Like, you know, if they were on fire, would you, you know, well, you know what I'm saying. Like, would you, would you put them out if they were on fire? Like this person that you forgave, you know, would you swerve to not hit them on the road? You know what I mean? Like, have you really forgiven them? Could you pray that God blesses them? Ooh. Could you be a blessing to them? If you've really forgiven them, somebody that you've really forgiven, you'd be able to do that. Job 3, 23 says, what's the point of life when it doesn't make sense, when God blocks all the roads to meaning? Look, there's, there's no meaning for life because everything has gone wrong for Job. He's like, what, why am I even here? He's even sick and racked with pain. He's lost it all. And after this verse right here where he says, there's no meaning to life. Everything's horrible. Everything's gone bad. Job goes on for 35 chapters complaining and moaning at God. And if you've ever read the book of Job, it is like, oh, for real? This story is not moving forward. You're just, you're, you're complaining again. Okay. And when we get to chapter 38, after Job has complained over and over and over again, God finally speaks. Because he's just wore out by all the complaining. He's like, I'm, I'm going to say something now. Because we all know somebody who complains, right? For the last 35 years, you know who this person is. Last 35 years, they've been complaining and complaining and complaining. And let's be honest, if you can't look across your life and know who that one person is, it's probably you. And so God responds <laughs> Finally, to Job's complaining, he says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, Job. Here's God trash talking, right? You guys didn't know God was a trash talker, did you? He's talking trash to Job. He says, I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Here's God being sarcastic with Job. He says, Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths of their dwelling? Surely you know you were already born. You've lived so many years, Job. I love God. He's so sarcastic. It's good. 
This justifies my sarcasm, probably not in the same way. But God is being super sarcastic and making it an incredible point that I think all of us have to capture in our hearts. It's the same thing we talked about last week in, in one of our points when we said, how do we have faith? Well, we have faith by trusting in things that we don't understand. We need to open our hearts and just surrender ourselves to God and say, you know what? The tragedies that I've been holding against you, the things that have happened in my life that are just crap, the things that I've been blaming you for, I need to just open my heart and say, you know what? I don't understand why I've gone through those things, but I'm still here today. And I, I'm just going to trust you with my past. I'm just going to trust you that you can use some part of it. Because I don't believe that God will waste one ounce of the pain that we've endured in our lives. I believe that he'll use it for his purposes completely. We have to come to a place where we trust God because that's what faith is. It's trusting something that you can't figure out. You may not understand your circumstances. You may not understand what you've gone through, but you can understand that he's in control. And so we have to resign ourselves to the, the fact that his plans are higher and better than ours. And that's the point that he's making to Job. You don't have the answers, Job. And so Job responds to God in, a, in an appropriate way. Like if I was sitting there right then when, jo when God said all this to Job, I'd have been like, ooh, burn, Job. You guys you need some ice for that? Like serious. And Job responds appropriately. He says, then Job answered the Lord, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. Basically, he said, I'm, I'm going to shut up now. I'm going to be quiet. Maybe like Job, it's just time for you to stop fussing. Maybe some of you have complained long enough about your past. You've held on to that brokenness. It's been your story. It's been your thing. It's been the hook you hang your hat on. Maybe it's time to stop fussing about it and just trust God with those details. This is not only how Job found peace, but it's also how Jeremiah found peace too. Look in Lamentations. He says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faith, faithfulness. Look, here's what's crazy to me. God will do like a thousand great things in your life like this week, and you'll chalk all those things up to coincidence. But one thing goes wrong, and you're like, how could you do this and let this happen? Like he gets all the credit for the bad stuff and no credit for anything in your life. You're like, instead of just chalking up the bad things to coincidences, we just, ah, it's all your fault. We don't trust that he's in the middle of it. So here we see Jeremiah sharing his escape from that kind of mentality that blames God instead of just accepting it and trusting him. And the way that he escapes it is he begins to call the faith, recall the faithfulness of God. He begins to recall the characteristics of God. He calls to mind who he knows God to be. He says, you're faithful. You've never left me. You've never forsaken me. You're graceful. You're merciful. You're all these things, and when he remembers those things, it changes his mindset about the situation completely. That's why we do praise and worship before we get to this part of the service, because this part of the service is where we're going to talk about how we need to respond and what we need to do, and we need to be in a mindset of that, like, and that's why we sing, you know, all these songs. We lift God up, and we lift him, we exalt him in our hearts and our minds. We recall who he is, and then we get to this point, and we are prepared, we are ready to receive and go, all right, you know what, you're in charge. That's why we do that. 
so Jeremiah escaped that, that mentality by recalling God's grace, his compassion, his love, his mercy. And I think that, it, that if you'll pause and reflect on God's grace and his hand in your life, that I think it'll shift, it'll shift how you think about him. It'll take away, take away that unforgiveness that you have towards him. It will remind you of his grace. Like, look, around this room, and there's a bunch of living people, right? You're not dead, but the Bible tells us that the wages, or in other words, the payment of our sin is death, and we're all alive. And we're all alive because Jesus paid a price for us, right? That's something you get excited about. That's something to be thankful for every single day of his life. And if you look over your life, can you not see God's faithfulness to you? Even if you're a newborn Christian, like you've just began this journey with God, can you not look across your life and see his hand, see his favor, see his grace and his mercy at work in your life, even through the difficult things? Can you not see? In Job's life, the moment he stopped complaining and decided to put his hand over his mouth and surrender himself completely to God is the moment that God doubled everything that he had before. Gave him double income, gave him double, double kids, gave him double business opportunities, doubled his cattle. He doubled him and he blessed him. The key for us is escaping these painful seasons of life with people is not to work it out with them first. It is to work it out with God first. You need to open your heart to him. For any of you that have been walking with Christ for a long time, maybe you, you were walking with him in a high school, and you go back for a high school reunion, you know of God's faithfulness. You know of his love and his grace and his mercy. The moment you get to that high school reunion and you look at that unanswered prayer and like, dear God, thank you so much for not answering my prayer because it looks like she is a hot mess or he is a hot mess, and <sighs> you knew what you were doing all along, so thank you. It's a Garth Brooks song, Unanswered Prayer. <laughs> but I think we have to open our, our hearts and our minds our whole lives to, to, and give them over completely to God. That's what we have to do. Not just the good parts, but the tragedies and unanswered prayers. The second thing we need to do is receive his forgiveness. Once we open our hearts, then we can finally receive his forgiveness. The Apostle Paul writes this, and I love what he writes. First Timothy 1, he says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, it's all these these crazy things that Paul did against God. He said, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. So you've got to love this. Paul is demonstrating humility that I think each and every one of us needs to emulate. And he's looking at his own sin and saying, I was the worst. And I think if we all looked at our own sin and say, I'm the worst. I'm the worst one in this room. I'm the pastor of this church, and I'm the worst one in this room. I was, and God has forgiven me. This is what Paul is saying to the people that he's wrote, or that he wrote this letter to. I was the worst one. I did all these things, and yet look how God has, what God has done in my life. Look at the love he has shed abroad. Like Paul, if you don't know this about Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he was the guy who like, preached to the rest of the Gentile world. The, the non-Jews. And Paul, Paul was used in an incredible way because God said, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to love you. Come on in. And he's asking us to look at his life and say, look, if you, if you don't compare to this, then you're good to go, man. You're good to go. Like, how could you not believe that you could be forgiven for your past and the things that you've done? I've done way worse than you have done. 
He's asking us to believe that God can do it. And I think here's what's, what's clear. What's clear in the Bible is that when we come to God and confess our sins to him, he is faithful to forgive them. In fact, the Bible describes his forgiveness as throwing the sins as far as the east is from the west. They are removed from you. They go into what's called the sea of forgetfulness. I don't know if it actually exists or if it's just an artistic picture of what happens to our sins. But when we confess them to him, he forgives us. He's faithful that way. If you're faithful to confess, he's faithful to forgive he holds them to our account no more, which is a beautiful picture. So let me ask you a question. If God is willing to forgive you of your past, isn't it about time that you let it go too? Because some of you want to sit there and hang on to your past. You want to hold on to it and say, well, this is who I am. This is what I did. This is, you know, I deserve this and I, I can't ever be because I made this mistake. But look, if God's willing to forgive you, isn't it about time you did the same? Forgive yourself. Let it go. You can't unscramble eggs. You just can't. All you can do is cook them and serve them with a side of bacon. That's the right thing to do. <laughs> so, so take what you've got and know that God will use it for his purposes. Let it go. I'm not going to sing. Let it go. Don't let the devil bring up your past to keep you from engaging in the world around you. Don't let him limit your potential and your future. You want to have healthy relationships with people? Be open to a relationship with God. Forgive him if you've been holding resentment against him. Trust him. And then receive forgiveness yourself. Look, I, I am a firm believer that you will never be able to forgive anybody if you don't receive forgiveness yourself. And if you don't forgive yourself. Because look, once you've tasted of the freedom of forgiveness, once you've really experienced it, you'll want to give that gift to everybody. It doesn't matter how embarrassing it is for you. It doesn't matter how many of your feet you'll have to pull out of your mouth. It doesn't matter. You'll want to give that gift over and over again. You'll want to be somebody who is forgiven, seeks to be forgiven, and gives forgiveness. If you want to do these things, in response to forgiveness that you've received, I believe then you'll be able to release people. Some of you, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you believe that you can do this forgiveness thing on your own, and I'm here to tell you that you'll never be able to release people completely until the power of God is at work in your life. Period. You can say, I forgive you all you want. But until you have forgiven him, received forgiveness yourself, you'll just never be able to do this on this level, relationally. And to be honest with you, the world will tell you that forgiveness is not a good idea. No, you need to plot your revenge. And don't we do that sometimes? We rehearse what we're going to say and how we're going to do it and how we're going to get revenge. We're like, <laughs> we're going to do it. Revenge is not a good idea, though. It's never going to end the way you think it does. What it oftentimes does is brings you down to the level of the person who hurt you in the first place. That's not God's plan for your life. It's not his best for you. There was an insurance salesman. This is a true story, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and we're going to close. He, was, uh, he worked for an insurance company for 20 years, and he was forced into retirement. He was not happy about being forced into retirement. And he decided he was going to get even with the insurance company, so he went and bought 12 rare Cuban cigars. And he got them insured. He got a fire policy on these cigars. Once he was approved for the policy, he proceeded to smoke them. When he was finished smoking his 12 cigars, he put in a claim 
and said that that fire had destroyed them. And the insurance company said, no way, you smoked them. And he said, well, but your policy doesn't say I couldn't smoke them. It doesn't say what kind of fire. So he sued them, took them to court. And in court, because we're in the good old U.S. of A., he won. Doesn't have to make sense, just the writing needs to be correct, you know, and the verbiage. And the court ruled that the, the insurance company didn't say what kind of fire couldn't destroy, whether it was regular use. They didn't define that well enough. So the man won. He was awarded $1,000 per, per cigar. And he's excited. He's exacted his revenge. He goes to the bank and he cashes his $12,000 check. And shortly thereafter, he finds himself in handcuffs. The insurance company had taken his testimony in court and uh, had filed charges against him for setting 12 individual fires. They got him on arson. <laughs> so he winds up in jail for 12 months because he set fire to his own cigars. But revenge doesn't work out the way we think it does. In the end, it winds up fighting us. We have to be willing to forgive people. Some of you who have been walking with Christ, you say, Aaron, I've got this worked out. I've received forgiveness. But this stuff just keeps cropping up in my heart. I'll forgive somebody. I'll pray blessing for them. And like a month or two later, it crops up in my heart again. That's the way it works. It'll come knocking back at your door to see if you'll let it in. Not like a new thing, like something that happened in the past. Don't let unforgiveness take up residence in your heart. I believe when Peter was asking Jesus, he said, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Seven times? Some people say, well, it was the same thing over and over again that he was sinning against him. And it, it is possible. But I almost feel, because based on my experience, that Jesus' response, he says, no, 77 times or 70 times 7. Whether it's 77 or 490 times, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> it's a lot. He says, you need to forgive him that many times. Whether they do it to you or you're just remembering it and are mad all over again, you need to forgive them again. And you may find that over the years you'll get mad at somebody over and over, you need to just release them again. Over and over again. Some of you are here today and you say, Aaron, I'm not in a place where I'm ready to forgive. You know what? I think that's an honest prayer. I think that's just honest about where you're at. I'm okay with that. And God's not threatened by it either. But let me tell you something. If you're walking with Christ, you're called to respond to his forgiveness with forgiveness. Jesus, in the prayer that he gives his disciples, he says, forgive us our trespasses. Not period. It doesn't end there. He says, as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. It's a process. There's other verses that, that Jesus is speaking. He says that, that if, you're not, if you don't for, forgive, then you can't be forgiven. Huh. The process is not complete until we give it to those that are around us. So if you're following Christ, you say, I'm a Christ follower. Then your act of obedience today, the way that you get to respond to what we're talking about today, to be somebody who's forgiving. There may be people that you need to walk out of here and call or go visit and forgive. There may be somebody you just need to go home to. It may be somebody in this room. Awkward. But if you're following Christ, today's your day to follow after that. Others of you say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to. You can pray, Lord, help me get there. I want to be obedient. I'm not there. Help me get there. I've prayed that prayer many times. And you know what? He's always been faithful to help me get there because that's a God-honoring prayer. I want to forgive. I know I need to, but I'm not there. Help me do it. I think that's a thing of beauty. It is a picture that God is painting that 
is just beautiful. Forgiveness is the greatest gift that Jesus gave us, and it's one of the greatest gifts that we can give others. Let's pray. Today you say, Aaron, I'm here, and, and my life is a wreck because of unforgiveness. I want to be able to forgive. I want to. And this unforgiveness that's in my life is destroying my mind, my health, my peace. And I need to take that first step. You said, I need to be open to God. And I've not been open to him. I've blamed him for everything. But today I'm in a place. I, I want to respond to that. I want to open my life to God. You begin that journey by accepting Jesus as Lord, by letting him be in control of your life. And if you're here today and you say, Aaron, I want to make that commitment for the very first time, or maybe the hundredth time, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you'd like to be counted in on that prayer, I will include you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around. But if you want to be included on that prayer, would you just shoot your hand in the air and let me know that you're here? Say, hey, Aaron, count me in on that prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your honesty. I'm going to pray, and it's, it is honestly the simplest prayer. So, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. You just need to pray it in your heart and mean it. Forgive me of my sins, of my mistakes. Forgive me for being angry at you. I give you my whole life and I trust you with it. Transform me, make me brand new. And help me give this gift of forgiveness to others. Lord, I pray for all those that are following you that are making commitments today to be a person who forgives. I pray, God, that you would help us because we need to open our hearts. Open our hearts to, to even when it hurts, help us believe that your forgiveness is for us. And because of that, we can forgive ourselves. God, make us a people that are a forgiving people full of grace for one another because this is the beautiful picture that you are painting in our lives this is your glory this is the crux of our entire belief system is forgiveness may we be people who give it to others help us as we be bold and courageous in this journey we ask this in Jesus name God we need your power and your strength to do it amen